Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Robert Kelly, one of the pastors here at the church, and um, this is our 11-year anniversary as a church. So, woo! Very, very cool. It's always, uh, we always mark it as uh, the, first, uh, the first Sunday in December because that was uh, the first Sunday that we started public services here in this building. And so we count that as uh, one of our significant uh, anniversary markers. And uh, if you were here last week, you know that we uh, handed out a survey during the service. And I know because of the holiday weekend, a lot of you were traveling, you were away. And so we're going to give those of you who haven't yet had a chance to fill out the survey a chance to fill it out today. So the ushers are going to come forward. And if you did not fill out a survey last week, just kind of wave to an usher. And as they kind of walk forward, guys, come on up. And um, as uh, the people see you, they will just kind of wave. And you can go ahead and start filling that out. If you filled it out, you don't need to fill it out again. In fact, I'd prefer you not fill it out twice. <laughs> And, you know, unless, of course, you just feel like your opinion matters twice of what everybody else is. Now all the hands go up. Yes, yes. That's me. That's me. I personally have filled out one for every service I was in. Um, but no, I'm just kidding. We, we didn't do anything like that. So, uh, so yeah, go ahead and uh, you can just fill it out and then fold it up and drop it in the basket at the end of the service. That would be great. Today also marks the official start of the Christmas season at Beacon. Although I guess really we started it last week with Advent, uh, but now that we're finally decorated, it feels more like Christmas here at uh, Beacon. And um, as we start to kind of turn our minds toward Christmas, it's great for us to remember all of the things that make it such a fantastic time of year. So I would like you to turn to your neighbor and tell them what is your favorite part of Christmas? What is your favorite part of Christmas? Go ahead and turn to your neighbor and tell us what is your favorite part of Christmas. All right, so what are some of the favorite parts of Christmas? What are they? The food. Yeah, how many people think the food are some of the best parts of Christmas? Yep, this is the season. Chris, what did you call it? The season of eating? The season of eating, excellent. What are some other favorite parts of, of Christmas? Family. How many of you say family is one of the best parts and uh, some of you don't? What the? Okay, so you could check with us about getting a new family. Um, I don't know if that's not. What are some other favorite parts of, uh, of Christmas? Decorating. decorating. You like the decorating? Yeah, my neighbor beat me again this year decorating the outside of his house. Decorating. Anybody else feel like decorating is one of the cool parts? All right. We have a few people that like the decorating. My wife keeps raising her hand for every part of it. Uh, so, oh, there, go ahead. Music. All right. How many people think the music is one of the best? All right. We've got a lot of music. More than family. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so that's fascinating. Uh, all right, what's some other? Anyone else having a so, so I, go ahead. Free stuff, thank you. That's what I've been looking for this whole time, and it was from my son. So <laughs> gifts. So tell me, who, who thinks one of the best parts of Christmas is gifts? Like, oh, yeah, right, it's only me, right? I'm, there's like three or four of us here that think gifts 
are an important part of Christmas. So I have a, a, a sad Christmas story for you. It's a true story. My parents, my mom and my dad, they shared a stocking, like a two-legged stocking, okay? So I don't know if you've ever seen these things, but so, you know, one side of it was mom and one side of it was dad, you know, like little underwear or something. So, but, uh, but every year, my mom's stocking would be stuffed to the gills, overflowing with gifts. And my dad's might have something tiny dropped in it from like maybe that fell in from my mom's side of the stocking. And so his stocking was always so late. So you'd wake up on, on Christmas morning and like there's this big fat leg and then this tiny little thin leg and no gifts in it. And so, you know, for whatever reason, this was a fairly, it took me years to realize that I actually had to put things in my dad's stocking to change this, right? So that all the kids, we just, for whatever reason, we never quite figured out that we had to actually fix that problem. And we didn't until we were much older, of course. Uh, and so it traumatized me to such a degree that to this day, I will put things in my own stocking. <laughs> and so just in case this happens, I'm like, no, it will not happen. I'm not going to have nothing in my stocking. So I will always buy myself something to put in my stocking because gifts are an important part of the holiday season and unwrapping them are of course uh, is unwrapping them of course is an important time because gifts I mean like look at these gifts like look like look at this that is a great looking gift I mean I think we all love gifts like who would and this like this one's for me look at that like this is actually my gift so somebody went through the trouble of getting me a gift and putting it right up here on the stage. Now, if you are, I, I'm going to open it and you're going to watch, right? Because it's fun watching. Who, who does that? What? So there are people, there are families who open up all their gifts at once. And there are families that kind of watch when others open their gifts. So who opens all of their Christmas gifts at once? Anyone do that? A couple of folks? Like the whole family just kind of dives in. All right. That's how we, that's sort of how I grew up. How many families open them one at a time? Oh, so you're used to watching people open gifts. So that's good. Now, why, why do we do that? Why do we do that, like, to watch it? It's very inefficient. <laughs> right? But why do we do it? Because we want to see it. We want them, we experience a joy when they're actually unwrapping, unwrapping their gifts. And so, of course, as I kind of unwrap my gift here, and all of you get to watch, I get to say, this is fantastic. Because these are little reminders of love that we like to give to you guys every year. So can the ushers come forward as I can be taking this gift to you guys. And this is your Christmas ornament, which is a tradition that we do every year. Ugh. Now these are heavy this year. You guys can start handing them out. I don't know if you need more. I'll leave a couple up here in case you do. And each person, each adult can go ahead and grab one. And you can actually unwrap it because it's Christmas unwrapped, you see? This is a special thank you to the outreach team that has so painstakingly prepared these for us this year. So cute. I love it. And for those of you who missed the reference, a beacon is a cooler name for a lighthouse. 
I'm so, if you never figure that out, you're going to be like, oh, now I understand the lighthouse. Now I get it. I never understood it. I mean, who doesn't love unwrapping a gift? And in fact, even more joyous than me experiencing what could have been a gift in here for me is actually knowing that all of you have a little reminder of love. Because we all know that it is more blessed to give than receive. We've all heard that, right? It is more blessed to give than to receive. And it is even a more spectacular blessing to be able to give to people something that was given to you. Something that was given to you. See, we're taking a look at the book of Matthew for the whole month of December. And we're exploring how it is that we can give the gifts that we have received. So what are the gifts that you have received that you get to give to others? That's the focus of our Christmas Unwrapped series for the month of December. We're going to start it in Matthew chapter 1 verse 19. In the Christmas story. And we're going to see here in a very, very rapid overview of the first six chapters that much of the Bible is actually an encouragement to each and every one of us to give. So you all know that the angel announces to Mary that a gift was coming to her, the gift of a child that she would have to give to the world. That's how the Christmas story began. And then we know, and we read the story, that Joseph has been told that he is going to have this son as well. He's a little bit, you know, mystified because his fiancée, whom he hasn't slept with yet, is now pregnant. And so he's having a really hard time figuring out what just went down. And so it takes an angel to come in Matthew 1.19 to say, Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So God gives his son human life in order for his son to give us spiritual life. Mary gave was given a gift from God that was she was actually going to have to release to the world. God gave his son the gift of human life so that he could turn around and give the gift of spiritual life because we had no chance of being saved from our sins apart from Jesus. That's what verse 21 tells us. She'll give birth to a son and you were to give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. And then we're in Matthew chapter 2. And in verse 10, we meet the Magi. The Magi, of course, gave gifts as well. When they saw the star, this is chapter 2, verse 10, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So God gives the Magi financial resources and spiritual insight, a gift given to them 
so that they could make a long journey to a distant land where they can find the newborn Savior and give him the gift of worship and financial resources. And this is what's so neat. The financial resources were no doubt essential because soon the Holy Family was going to be persecuted. And they're going to have to flee to Egypt. I wonder how they had the finances to make it to Egypt and survive there. I wonder if they used the very gifts that the Magi had just given to them. Look at, John, at Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verse 10. We meet John the Baptist. He says, The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. This is the Baptist way of saying, you have to be productive in the world. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be fruitful, productive. And if you're not, those trees are actually useless. They're to be cut down and discarded. Matthew chapter 4. Look at this. We're still, we're running right through. Matthew 1, 2, 3. Now we're in Matthew 4. Jesus goes and calls the first apostles. He calls the first apostles. Chapter 4, verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, said Jesus, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Jesus says, I'm going to give you a gift. You're going to be one of my disciples. You're going to follow me, the Messiah, Savior of the world. Here's a gift to you so that you can be a gift to others. I'm going to let you follow me, and you're not going to catch fish anymore. You're going to catch people for eternal life. A gift given to them that was intended to be given to others. Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount, the, the, the pinnacle of the, the summary teachings of Jesus. And he largely tells them how much they're to give to others. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful for they'll be shown mercy. What is mercy except a gift that you give to others? He says, blessed are the peacemakers in 5 verse 9. Peacemaking is a gift that you give to others. The ending of hostilities, the creation of peace. Matthew chapter 5, 13, he calls them the salt of the earth. That's a gift to the earth, to the people of the earth. Chapter 5 verse 14, he calls them the light of the world. And he gets even more explicit here. Down in verse 15, he says, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. See, we haven't even gotten out of the first five chapters, and it's all about giving. What you have been given, you give to others. The Bible is a great big story about giving, you see, give, about giving, because what we unwrap, what we unwrap, we are supposed to give away so that others can unwrap a gift as well. And you will find it on page after page after page throughout the gospel story. And this series is actually going to reflect on the gifts that we have been given trying to figure out what it is that we can give to others. We're going to reflect on these amazing gifts that we've received from God. Specifically, we're going to be exploring how it is that we can help people who are far from God 
people who are non-Christians, people who have not yet decided to follow Christ as Lord and Savior, we're going to explore how we can help people far from God to unwrap these gifts. The gifts that are from God coming through us that we offer to them. So that's what we're going to do for, the, course, uh, for the, this, the entirety of the month of December. Now, one of the greatest gifts that we have is the gift of prayer. I mean, prayer is an absolutely amazing gift, an amazing gift. Because prayer, of course, is access to God. So Jesus, he dies for our sins. He makes us God's children. And this is all through faith in Christ. Now we're God's children. And prayer becomes our great privilege. Now, we often think of prayer, though, as something that we do for us. It's all about our relationship with God. And that is, of course, true. Prayer is about our relationship with God. It is our privilege. It is our, the basis of our relationship. But we can also give this gift to others. We can actually give our prayers to others. You know, I don't know, so often, my prayers, they focus on me. And then when they don't focus specifically on me, on my issues, my problems, my desires, my needs, my daily bread, my whatever, they focus on my families. I pray for the immediate impact on my kids, on my wife, on what's going on with my dad or my sister. She's in the, going to the doctor. I'm going to have, you know, that's, these are what, this is what my prayers primarily will consist of if I am not disciplined to focus them outward. But we can, in fact, give our prayers to others. It need not be the case that the prayers of God's people are centered almost exclusively on themselves or on their immediate families. They can be pressed outward. And we can pray for people who are far from God. These are non-Christians who don't yet believe. We can hold them up in prayer. So we have to give our prayers to others. We have to give our prayers to others. So how do you give people the gift of prayer? Well, actually, it's a little bit of a, of a, of a little checklist you need to think through. If you're going to say, yeah, I want to commit myself to praying for people, how do I do that? Well, first you have to decide who you're going to pray for. If you don't have that in your head, if you don't know who that is, if you haven't written that down somewhere, then you will not actually be able to pray for them. They'll never come to mind. It'll just be some vague sort of general prayer for all of the people in the world everywhere who don't know God. But it won't be for the people that you actually know. So you need to actually just list it out. Make a list. We'll do that later. You've got to decide on how often you're going to pray for them. So somewhere you'll need a mechanism that will remind you. Unless you simply do it every single day, which is a great plan. If you're going to do it every other day, then how, do you, how are you going to do that? How are you going to remember that? Do you have a prayer journal? That might be a way to do it. Do you have a little bit of a reminder system in your prayer life? Do you have a way of writing it down? On Monday, I'll pray for these people. And on Tuesday, I'll pray for these people. And on Wednesday, I'll pray for these people. You need a mechanism by which to remind yourself what it is you've committed, who it is you've committed to praying for. And then, of course, how do you actually do the prayer? Well, you can simply mention them by name. That would be a great start. You could simply mention them by name. You could say, God, here are the people that I'm praying for who are far from you, and I want them to know you. 
And then you've, you've now added that as a part of your prayer life. And that would be a fine start. But I think that we can learn to pray far more thoroughly for them. And that's what I'd like to walk us through here for a few minutes. Now, all of us, or most all of us, are familiar with the Lord's Prayer, right? We recited it already. Most of us learned it when we were kids, uh, and uh, it has sort of stuck with us, or at least we've heard enough of it over the years that it sort of gets, you know, kind of in our brain somehow. Now, the Lord's Prayer is very familiar, and you can think of it as the archetype of all prayer. Jesus, when he said, you know, he was going to teach us how to pray, he said, this is how you pray. And then he launched into the Lord's Prayer. And for Christians, the Lord's Prayer can be a model prayer and an outline for all of your prayer life, which is a pretty amazing thing. So, you know, sometimes you go down, you go to sit down to pray, and you just don't know where to start. You know, you're like, how do I, what do I do? How do I pray? What do I say next? How do I start? If you have the model of the Lord's Prayer in mind, you start right there. And there's a couple of great resources that are out there for kind of general use of the Lord's Prayer. Tim Keller does a fantastic, very thorough discussion of it. He even references Martin Luther. And so if you have his prayer book or you've read that at all, this is a great way to learn how to pray the Lord's Prayer kind of in general. Then J.I. Packard has a little one called Praying the Lord's Prayer. It's also very helpful. N.T. Wright has one, The Lord and His Prayer. Uh, if you were really, if you wanted a quick understanding of it, I would go with the J.I. Packard. If you wanted to have a really thorough, uh, more comprehensive version of it, an historical version, then I would say Keller's is uh, the great place, kind of a great go-to. And you can start right out and learn that the Lord's Prayer can teach you how to pray every day. And it's a great way to kind of get started in prayer. But what I want to do, though, is I want us to focus on how to take the Lord's Prayer and pray for our non-Christian friends. As a sample prayer, using the Lord's Prayer to actually commit ourselves to praying for those who are far from God, who are lost. So let's, let's give them a name this morning. Let's call our, our lost friends Mike and Linda. Mike and Linda. If there are any Mike and Lindas in the room, this is not about you. Unless it is. <laughs> but I, I did not pick these names because you're in this room. Um, Mike and Linda. So we start off, and the prayer starts how? Our Father. Now, when you take just those two words of the Lord's Prayer, you can imagine how deep these, just these simple two words can be. He's our Father, which means it's not just about me. My prayers ought to be focused on more than me. This is about a community of people, because it's not praying my Father. It's praying our Father. And it's not praying our God. It's praying our Father. There's a reason these words were chosen. There's a closeness that we're supposed to understand. There's a, a relationship, a family feel. He could have said, pray to our sovereign king and commander of the universe. That would be a very different prayer, wouldn't it? It would be true, but it would be very different. He's saying, pray our Father, because he wants us to know that as a family, we can enter into the presence of our dad. So how would you pray for Mike and Linda? Because listen, he's not their father. That's important for us to remember. He's not their father. If they're far from him, then they can't actually pray this for themselves. Imagine what it would look like if you would spend just a little bit of time 
reflecting on what it means for your family and your friends and your neighbors and your co-workers who don't yet know Jesus Christ as Savior. They actually can't come home and be with their father. He's not their father. You could pray, God, please adopt Mike and Linda as your children. Lord, make yourself known to them that they would experience your fatherly love. Make their hearts long for a spiritual father. Then you move on. Hallowed be your name. This is the way of saying holy is your name. Or make your name holy in the world. And this is related to an idea that each person is to glorify God. And there are some catechisms and John Piper and others that explain this. But the idea of glorifying God is that if you enjoy God and you delight yourself in him, then you have set him apart as holy in the world. You've, you've set him above all else in your heart. And you've declared to the world that he is at the center. You've enjoyed him. You glorify him. And it's one of the ways of hallowing his name, of making his name set apart and holy in the world. And so you might ask that your friends would know him by name, that they would know the power of his name. And you might pray, Lord, I pray that Mike and Linda would come to enjoy you as the center of their lives. Imagine what that would do for your friends, how that would transform their lives if they knew, if you knew and they knew that God was at the center of their existence. What's the next phrase? Your kingdom come. May Mike and Linda recognize that this world is fleeting and that the pursuits that wrap up our hearts will not give us lasting joy and peace. There's another kingdom that is yet to be revealed. We want them to experience that. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So please draw Mike and Linda to you. Your word desires that all people come to know and to love you. Let that be true of my friends. May your perfect will be done in my friends' lives. See, you're taking each phrase of the prayer and you're trying to understand it in relationship to your lost friends and family. Give us this day our daily bread. You can pray, may Mike and Linda see you as their daily bread. Right now, they pay little attention to you, Father. May they see that they cannot live by physical bread alone. Forgive us as we forgive. My goodness, this is a vital prayer. We all need God's forgiveness. And so, Lord, I'm asking that Mike and Linda would seek the forgiveness that is found in Christ alone. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. How many times people will refuse to come to God? They'll be distracted from all of the various pursuits. These are the temptations that lead them away from Christ. And if you notice, it doesn't just say deliver them from evil. Some of us grew up with translations that say that. The modern translations all explain that this is the evil one. It's the personification of evil, we say. But in the scriptures, it's not simply the personification. It is the person of evil. It's the enemy. It is our spiritual enemy that we are praying against. And so we can pray, Lord, we know that the enemy, Satan, longs to destroy Mike and Linda. And I pray that you would protect them from the evil one. Break his power of deception. Tear down the temptations that are drawing my friends away from you. So this is just a sample of how it is that you might pray for your friends and your family who are facing an uncertain and potentially horrifying afterlife.
And let's spend some time reflecting on that. Let's spend some time. What that really does mean. If what you believe about Jesus is true, how vitally important is it for us to stand in the gap and to pray for people who are far from God? If what we really believe is true, if there really is an afterlife, and if there really is a God, and if there really are forces of evil, And you'd imagine that we would have the motivation to pray desperately for those who are far from God. That we would recognize that their need to unwrap God's gifts through us, it actually overshadows every other need they have. So I want to introduce you to a Christmas unwrapped challenge today. The Christmas unwrapped challenge. So each week, we are going to be giving you a challenge here on Sunday mornings. And we're going to have a whole, big, a whole lot of resources for you. The idea is that we're going to provide you with resources that will help you take a gift that you have been given and give it to another person. And these different challenges will all be symbolized by something different that you can earn as a sort of charm or a merit badge to complete your ornament. So now I know you think your ornament is complete, but it isn't. See, this is the the really cool part about it. So your ornament, if you kind of, you can't really see this one up here, but this has a lot more in it than the ones that we handed you. Each week of the series, if you complete the challenge and you let us know, we will be providing you with an additional piece of your Christmas ornament with the goal of you completing it by the end of December. That is our hope and our prayer. So let me give you an example of how this works. We're going to actually do the first challenge today to kind of give you a nice easy on-ramp. So go ahead and take out that little piece of paper that was on your seat. And remember, the first step in praying for your lost friends and family is to take and make a list. And that's what we're going to ask you to do here. So just take a couple of moments and list out two or three or four people. If you have five or six, you can do that as well. It's plenty of room on here. You can fill both sides if uh, if you write fast. And go ahead and write out two or three or four people who are far from God. People who don't have faith in Christ. They're non-Christians. They don't have any sense of spiritual belonging to a family. And go ahead and write them out on this little slip of paper. You're not handing these slips in. But go ahead and take just a couple of minutes and write out a couple of names. At least two or three. You can do as many as four or five or six. So who is it you're going to pray for? Who is it that you would be devastated if they weren't in eternity with you? Put their names down on that. And what you're doing as you write these names down is you are committing to pray for them every day for the month of December. Every day for the month of December, you're committing to pray for them. 
You can pray in some form like we just explained. You can pray in a different way. But what you're committing to doing is praying for each name that you write down on this sheet of paper. You guys have some names already written down? All right, here's what you do. Roll that little sheet of paper up. Go ahead and roll it up. Let's see who does this a little too quickly. <laughs> do not pass it to anyone. Just roll it up. And go ahead and tie it with the string. <laughs> tie it with the string. And once you tie it with the string, if you can make a nice little bow, better for you. My fat fingers won't allow that. So, and now you take your ornament and you drop it in as the first piece of your Christmas ornament. Roll it up, tie a string around it, and drop it in your ornament. I'm going to invite the uh, band to come up as I explain to you guys how the next ones will all work. So there you have your first piece, and you have made a commitment by doing that to accept the first challenge, which is to pray for people who are far from God. Now, that is your first challenge and you have received your first piece of the ornament. In the next few weeks, we are going to be talking about eating with your friends as a second challenge, listening to their story, which is the third challenge, and serving your friends, which will be the fourth challenge, and we'll talk about another one on Christmas Eve. Now, the cool thing is, and we owe a huge debt of gratitude to the outreach team. This bag that is in the back on your way out, you can pick one up, is filled with both an explanation of the challenge, each step of it, and a whole lot of ideas that will help you through each of the different ones. And so there are some ideas in here about, you know, restaurants you could go to and things that you could, you know, ways that you could uh, share your story or listen to them or, or serve your friends. You're going to find all sorts of great little ideas and great little tools and a great uh, deal of thought and effort has gone in to give you all the resources that you would need to complete each and every one of the challenges. And then if you complete a challenge, in order to get your next piece, we need you to email us at christmasunwrapped at Beacon Church Online. The email is on the screen and uh, we need you to email us and tell us what it is you did that accomplished that part of the challenge. And when you do that, you will get the next piece of your ornament. And it would be heartbreaking to end the Christmas season without the additional pieces that are in your ornament. Forever, you would be looking at a flawed ornament, an incomplete <laughs> ornament. And that would just be heartbreaking. And we won't yield on it. We're not gonna hand them out for free. You gotta email us your stories.